Mankind has found many ways to terrify itself with scary stories. First, they were told orally, delivered around a campfire or passed from friend to friend. Then we started writing them down and came up with new ones. The 19th century stories of Mary Shelley and Edgar Allan Poe and 20th century horror stretching from H.P. Lovecraft to Stephen King. Then we decided that reading about something scary and thinking about something scary it just wasn't scary enough. We wanted to see the things we were scared of. And so came the rise of horror movies. Children of the Corn, The Thing, It, Cloverfield, A Quiet Place. Much like with movies, there are just simply too many terrifying horror movies to list here. But somewhere around the writings of Stephen King and mastering of the horror movie came a new development in humanity, the internet. And with the onset of new ways to communicate and share content came a brand new method of storytelling, specifically scary storytelling. <laughs> Greetings, creatures of the night, and welcome to a very spooky episode of Geeks Crossing. My name is Matt, and I will be your guide tonight into by far humanity's scariest invention, the World Wide Web. <laughs> but aside from being scary in the sense that our species is losing its social skills and hurting its eyesight, the internet is also a terrific way for truly creative and innovative horror projects to leak out into the rest of the world. Why is that? Well... If you want to write a horror novel, you have to edit down an entire manuscript, probably get in touch with an editor and a publisher. If you want to make a horror movie or even a horror short film, you'll probably at least need one actor, a cameraman, editor, and a distributor. If you want to write a scary story or create scary content, you can put it on any number of internet websites for free. And if it requires more money to produce, there are websites you can fundraise for it. As a result, super creative people who otherwise might not have the resources to publish scary stuff can do so. Plus, the internet provides some more interesting mediums to showcase this content. No longer do scary things have to be long stories or 90-minute movies. They can be six-minute videos or even completely still images. However, horror got its start on the internet the same way it got its start in our own pop culture. Through writing. Most people who have spent time on the old internet have heard of the term copypasta, derived from the terms copy and paste smashed together. You know, copy pasta. Copy pasta was when people would write something down and then copy and paste it to as many different websites and forums as they could, typically as a form of spam or trolling. Think of the infamous Navy SEAL copy pasta, or that one from a few years back that went, to be fair, you have to have a high IQ to understand Rick and Morty. Well, in the mid-2000s, before social media, most people on the internet who talked in big groups used forums, so copypasta was widespread. That's when some users started experimenting with creepier copypasta stories. These stories started out as the typical copy-and-paste scary stories in the vein of campfire stories. You know, he opened the car door and there was a hook. Actually, that story was so heavily memed that it developed into the point where internet users just typed man-door, hand-hook, car door. But these scary stories evolved. They became longer, and the writing became more in-depth. Instead of being copied and pasted everywhere, they started claiming their own space on the internet. This was the rise of the creepypasta. Honestly, there are so many famous classic creepypastas, I don't think I could possibly dwell too long here. But I'll go through the biggest ones from the late 2000s and early 2010s, the one that helped people remember the term creepypasta. 
Sonic EXE followed a boy's adventure with a cursed Sonic game in which Sonic cried hyper-realistic blood and killed all of his friends. Ben Drowned is somewhat similar, it being a cartridge of Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask possessed by the spirit of a boy who played it first. The Russian sleep experiment saw, well, exactly what it sounded like, an old experiment by Russian scientists to see how long a human being can go without sleep. Candle Cove tracked a fictional forum's discussion and debate about a disturbing old kids show from the 70s. Actually, it leads us nicely into the lost episode creepypasta genre, proclaiming to be the lost episode of some famous series like Mickey Mouse cartoons or The Simpsons. You know, you got your Dead Bart, SuicideMouse.avi, and Squidward's Suicide, the latter reaching such fame, or infamy, seeing as it hasn't aged very well as a story, that it was referenced in an actual episode of SpongeBob SquarePants, though the reference has since been edited out due to scaring children. And then, of course, you have creepypasta stories that nobody really remembers, but which spawned characters still recognizable on the internet to this day. Eyeless Jack, Jeff the Killer, and perhaps most famously of all, Slender Man. Though many dismiss creepypastas as a late 2000s fad, people are still writing them to this day. Largely confined to the creepypasta wiki and the subreddit r slash nosleep, amateur writers try their luck scaring their anonymous peers with spooky stories. YouTubers like Creeps McPasta and Mr. Creepypasta make a living lending their narration to such stories, there's honestly quite a few gems worth giving a read or a listen to today, but that's a topic for a future episode. Creepypastas were fun, but they were admittedly self-contained. This changed around 2008, when various horror enthusiasts teamed up for one big project, a horror universe. Yup, the same year the first Iron Man hit theaters, some amateur writers on the internet looking to spook their friends were weaving their own shared universe with a project that came to be known as the SCP Foundation. This was a bold and unique concept. Instead of just telling man-door-car-hook-hand stories, each writer would create an article for a fictional database, and each article would describe an anomalous creature, event, condition, or phenomena as though they were researchers working for an organization tasked with keeping these things locked up. That's what SCP stands for, Secure, Contain, Protect. Secure these bizarre and disturbing things, contain them, and protect the rest of the world from them. Or, in some creative twists, protect them from the rest of the world. The SCP Foundation has given many horror writers a chance to really flex their muscles, coming up with creative and cool concepts for disturbing things. The project has spawned shorts, stories written in the same universe, and even short films and video games like SCP Containment Breach. There are over 6,000 SCP articles at the time of this recording, each detailing something horrifying, disturbing, and even downright depressing sometimes. This is another subject long overdue for an episode, and at some point down the line I really want to talk about some of my favorite SCP articles. With successful scary stories spreading like wildfire across the internet, strangers telling scary stories to one another never seemed easier. It was like the whole World Wide Web was the woods, and we were all huddled around a campfire. But some people with talents other than just writing wanted to get it on the fun. That's when we started seeing truly terrifying art such as the infamous depictions of SCP-176, Jeff the Killer, and Slenderman that have truly planted these frightening figures into our public imagination. And then came the short films and spooky miniseries. Spooky viral videos can trace their origins to the early days of the internet. Perhaps the first example of a miniseries to truly take off was Salad Fingers. The series of animated shorts followed a disturbing green character living in a deserted wasteland and talking to himself, in addition to a variety of 
mutant weirdos. It featured creepy imagery, music, and voice work. In addition to some mild gore and body horror, it was worked on almost entirely by the British animator David Firth. The first Salad Fingers animation premiered on Newgrounds in 2004, and later episodes were roughly uploaded once a year on Newgrounds and later YouTube, until 2013, where episode 10 seemed to end the series, though an 11th episode later dropped quite suddenly in 2019, surprising fans. In 2011, towards the end of Salad Fingers' run, another prolific horror series dropped on YouTube, Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. Created by British filmmakers Becky Sloan and Joe Pelling, the original Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared short film, consisting of three puppets quote-unquote learning about creativity from a talking sketchbook in a fairly simple parody of Sesame Street, has become something of a horror icon among short films. It has raked in over 66 million views on YouTube, and after its release, Becky and Joe revisited an old idea they had about turning the project into a miniseries instead of just one episode. They created a second short, then collected money from a Kickstarter in order to make four more afterwards. A total of six shorts, featuring puppets being taught-slash-tormented about various subjects and themes by other creepy puppets, with a blend of claymation, 2D, and CGI animation utilized as well. The last of these episodes premiered in 2016. It's a super cool miniseries, and I definitely recommend giving it a watch if you haven't already, especially considering the show has been greenlit for a fully-fledged series on Britain's Channel 4 network, apparently starting next year. So now's the chance to catch up! I mean, it'll only take 40 minutes or so to binge all of Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared, so why not? In tandem with the rise of internet horror, video game developers began finding success with ways of telling scary stories that audiences could not only see and hear, but also directly control. The horror video game brand found limited success with such series as Silent Hill and Resident Evil, but it didn't really explode in quantity, and maybe arguably quality, until the 2010s. Along with the rise of creepypasta and scary short films, the internet provided a bastion for horror video games to get valuable exposure as, starting in the early 2010s, Let's Plays skyrocketed in popularity. Newly popular gaming channels began picking up horror games and exposing them to millions of casual gamers to experience and buy for themselves. These included Amnesia the Dark Descent, Alien Isolation, Outlast, Five Nights at Freddy's, Doki Doki Literature Club, Faith, Tattletale, and Little Nightmares, among many, many other titles. The internet is undoubtedly tied to the success of many of these games, which is why I feel it's fair to mention them here. It was cool seeing the diversity and the presentation of horror in all of them. From Five Nights at Freddy's, a game where you don't move at all and get attacked by Chuck E. Cheese knockoffs, to Faith, a game styled after Atari games and heavily influenced by the movie The Exorcist. And from Outlast, which sees you running around a gory, messy mental asylum filled with crazy test subjects, to Doki Doki Literature Club, which plays like a completely normal dating simulator until the game becomes quote-unquote self-aware. There's a healthy mix of different setups and playstyles that make it probable there's something here for every gamer. In the 2010s, internet horror became less associated with creepypastas and more associated with frightening horror games available for people to play on their computers or watch YouTube and Twitch gamers play on their computers. I hear that the relatively newer horror game Phasmophobia is a top choice for Keith and Nick when they stream on Twitch. But something interesting happened toward the end of the 2010s. Internet horror continued to evolve. This was especially interesting when we started seeing full-blown projects, most commonly known as ARGs. ARGs, an acronym for Alternate Reality Games, provide a way for horror crafters to lead viewers on a wild goose chase. Usually this involves eerie and cryptic content, with things like codes flashing on the screen or put in the description, leading those who translate them to unfinished websites or unlisted videos. This kind of content can be traditionally scary videos with frightening imagery, creepy music, and distorted audio, 
but it can also come in the form of fictional video games, like the Petscop Let's Plays, and vlog channels like Ash Vlogs and Hi I'm Mary Mary. These are all series of YouTube videos disguised as simple YouTube content, Let's Plays, vlogs, that kind of stuff, with a sinister twist. Basically, ARGs are a way for content creators to make universes with characters and lore without having to make a video game or write a movie. Petscop can do what Five Nights at Freddy's does, but only with a single person ever playing it. I guess ARGs are kind of like a new form of horror film or short film. If you ask me, some of the greatest ARGs play around with a relatively new horror concept known as analog horror. It's hard to exactly describe what analog horror is, but I think this TV trope's definition is relatively good, and I quote, Analog horror videos are almost always less than 10 minutes long and take the form of ominous television broadcasts, VHS tapes, radio broadcasts, or anything similar. They typically start out mundane and get progressively weirder or scarier. Have you ever watched an old VHS as a kid and the visuals look kind of fuzzy with gray lines appearing either occasionally or frequently depending on the quality of the tape? That's usually the kind of visuals that analog horror content goes for, making simple and uneasy things from your childhood actually terrifying. The genre finds its origin with fake emergency broadcast videos. Now, I don't know what country you live in or what the emergency signals are like where you're from, but there is a primal fear unleashed within me when I see the black screen with small, flashing, impersonal warning text, and I hear the ungodly blaring and long beeping of an emergency alert system signal, especially the kind from the late 90s and early 2000s. The government may have changed it since, I'm not 100% positive, but people make some easy edits of those. You know, nuclear attack. Alien invasion, whatever, this is not a drill. And that seemed to ignite a spark in horror content creators. It reminded them that plenty of parts of their childhood could be made more eerie and creepy if given the right shifts. This birthed the extraordinary Local 58, one of the best-known examples of analog horror. On its own website in 2015, later moving to YouTube beginning Halloween 2017, the channel Local 58, ostensibly a local TV channel operating out of West Virginia, started uploading creepy and cryptic videos about a GPS gone haywire, a children's cartoon and anything but child-friendly, a documentary about sleep that could actually give you nightmares, and a Vietnam-era propaganda film about the end of America as we know it, among other quote-unquote programs. Seriously, though, that propaganda alert is one of the scariest things I've ever seen on YouTube, so if you're going to watch anything by Local 58, definitely watch Contingency. Local 58 was created by Chris Straub, already famous among internet horror enthusiasts for his story Candle Cove, about a mysterious children's program that nobody fully remembers. Fun fact, in the story, Candle Cove is referenced to have aired on a Channel 58. A link that Straub has confirmed means Candle Cove aired on the fictitious Local 58 network. It all provides for creepy imagery and great horror videos that can also make viewers piece together a broader narrative and bits of lore to try and understand what's actually happening. Even MatPat of Game Theory fame has taken a crack at Local 58, proving without a doubt that the series is popular since he basically just talks about whatever is popular on the internet. We'll get to more analog horror content famous enough to get reviewed by Matt Pat in just a few seconds, but I do think I should give a shout out to Gemini Home Entertainment. This channel is much smaller than Local 58, but also weaves together a fascinating ARG with spooky analog horror videos, this time acting as a video distribution company. Getting its start in late 2019, Gemini Home Entertainment is an interesting channel for its analog horror content in its own right, and creator Remy Abode is doing great things with it. But the analog horror project taking the internet by storm right now is, without a doubt, The Walton Files. This series began in 2020, and a large following has crept up over time. The series, created by Martin Walls, basically combines the key ideas of analog horror, grainy VHS footage, spooky still images, corrupted audio, 
and uh, combines them with the elements of Five Nights at Freddy's. Creepy, sentient, animatronic animals with dead people stuffed inside of them. Since the internet loves both of these tropes so much, it's no wonder that The Walton Files is seeing such success. I won't get into too much of the story, but it's similar to the lore of FNAF. Two rival founders of an animatronic pizzeria hate each other, children die, everything's shut down, etc, etc. Nexpo has a really good video dissecting the entire lore of the Walton Files, and I definitely recommend that if you're interested, after watching the Walton Files for yourselves, of course. With more and more horror creators devoting their talents to the video aspects of internet horror, you may think that those who excel in writing and still imagery have sort of faded from relevance since the early 2010s, but that is definitely not true. In fact, the end of the 2010s brought with it the rise of some truly creative digital art projects. Trevor Henderson may or may not be a name that means anything to you, but he has taken internet horror by storm with his digital artwork. It harkens back to the late 2000s with the artwork of The Rake and Slenderman, but with disturbing new characters like The Long Horse, The Man with the Upside Down Face, The Smile Room, Cartoon Cat, and one of the most famous internet creatures since Slenderman, Siren Head. I'd go give Trevor Henderson a follow on Instagram because he puts out some really creepy, but oddly cool, artwork. One of the crown jewels of internet horror art, though, comes from the Mystery Flesh Pit Project. I've talked about horror artwork, like the digital drawings of Siren Head and SCP-173, and horror writing, like Candle Cove and the Russian Sleep Experiment, but what if there was a project that gracefully combined them both? Enter the Mystery Flesh Pit, a project designed by Trevor Roberts. Man, people named Trevor are really setting the game when it comes to terrifying digital artwork, huh? The Mystery Flesh Pit project describes a fictitious national park built in the belly of an absolutely gigantic sleeping monster located underground in rural Texas. What sets this eerie premise apart from the others, aside from a very interesting setting, is how Roberts tells the story of the national park. On his Tumblr page, Roberts continuously posts memorabilia as though he was locating and sharing old stuff from the park. He's created realistic-looking pamphlets, posters, warning signs, park guides, manuals, magazine covers, newspaper articles, product advertisements, and even Christian charms for the workers of the park. He basically formed an entire world just by showing off the average mundane parts of the mystery Flesh Pit National Park. It's a project unlike anything I've ever seen, and I definitely recommend checking it out. Apparently, Roberts is writing a book about the mystery flesh pit, which you better believe I'm checking out when it's done. Wendigoon did a really good video on YouTube on the mystery flesh pit, as well as some of the other stuff on here, like Local 58 and Gemini Home Entertainment. I would definitely recommend checking out Wendigoon. He does a lot of true crime and conspiracy theory stuff mixed in with horror and general nerd culture. But I think we're just about caught up on our journey. These aren't all the cool projects you can find on the internet, so don't be surprised if you find a favorite that I didn't even mention here. In fact, when I had finished the original script for this episode and was waiting to record, I discovered two new analog horror ARGs. The Mandela Catalog, a project by Alex Kister following a small county overrun by doppelgangers and other monster mimics, and the work of Alex Kansas, which explores, using really cool formats of old-timey documentaries and found footage, weird events happening around the world, particularly at American national monuments and throughout American history. Two more frightening channels to check out, and I didn't even know they existed when I originally finished this script. I think this just goes to show how diverse a place the internet truly is, and how you can just accidentally stumble across a really cool horror project out of nowhere. 
There's still some projects on my watch list, such as Rocket Records, KKHJ5 Local Spadra, the Minerva Alliance, and Analog Archives, which seem to all take a page out of Local 58's handbook as local news networks in towns or on broadcast where something has gone frighteningly wrong. Horror in and of itself has gone through many different forms over the years, from oral tradition to books and short stories to short films, movies, and even video games. And along the way, as we created a little thing called the internet, the human desire to frighten found its way onto there as well in the form of creepypastas like the Russian Sleep Experiment, collaborative writing projects like the SCP Foundation, digital artwork from Slenderman to Siren Head, eerie miniseries like Salad Fingers and Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared, disturbing analog horror projects like Local 58 and The Walton Files, and projects like the Mystery Flesh Pit National Park that utilize all kinds of different elements to weave a terrifying thread. So many of these projects have tried to redefine what it means to tell a scary story. Can you really create one horror universe with thousands of strangers on the internet? The SCP Foundation shows you can. Can spooky video games become successful just from some people playing them online? Well, there's hardly a corner of the internet left that hasn't discovered Five Nights at Freddy's, so you tell me. Can you possibly tell a story with nothing but some slightly eerie YouTube videos? Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared and Local 58 both show, in their own unique ways, that this is totally possible. So, during this season of spookiness... If you're not looking to play a video game and you're a little tired of reading Stephen King novels and watching Friday the 13th, then I think any of these projects could make for wonderful nightmare fuel for you. Read any of these stories, look at any of this artwork, watch any of these videos, and I guarantee you'll probably be looking over your shoulder. Because after all, the internet is a terrifying, disturbing, nightmarish place. And not just because of the horror projects. You've just listened to another episode of Geeks Crossing. Do you have any favorite of these projects? If so, which is your favorite? Do you have a favorite SCP or a favorite creepypasta? If not, have I inspired you to check any of these stuff out? I hope to hear how you enjoyed them. Let us know in our Discord. Link is in the description of this episode as always. Follow us on Instagram at Geeks Crossing and continue to support us wherever you're listening to us right now. Whether that be Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or iHeartRadio. Tell your friends and family about us, especially those in your life who are fond of the spookier things. And follow Keith and Nick on Twitch at NuclearBacons and at CryptoLuckGaming as I'm sure they'll be playing homage to the creepy and disturbing. I'm Matt, and I'm sleeping with the lights on tonight.